Hey guys, and welcome to The One Up Project. We're simplifying all things finance and lifestyle in a relaxed environment. It's all just a bit of fun, so be sure to keep listening and let the content be a catalyst for your own self-improvement. Hi everyone, welcome back to The One Up Project podcast. I'm joined today by Charlotte Clark, CEO of Duval Group, as well as a wife and a mum, and I'm sure wears a lot of other hats. So I'm really excited to get into this today, especially to talk about property development, because it's something that I know absolutely nothing about. So I'm very excited to be educated. Hi, Charlotte. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? <laughs> good, thank you. It's good. Thank you so much for giving me your time. I am, yeah, more than appreciative of it. You're welcome. Um, so I guess the first thing we'll get into is who you are, what you do, and what your day-to-day looks like. Yeah, sure. So I am um, the COO of the Duval Group, Chief Operating Officer. Um, So the Duval Group, hmm, let me see, which hats (laughs) am I talking about today? So I oversee just the general operations of the Duval Duval Group and the management of, um, I guess these days, the management of the teams there. Um, My role has evolved a lot over the years to the extent that now I really sit at a high level and just watch over what everybody else is doing. Having said that, um, I guess I've, I've kind of worked at the ground level throughout mm. the years as well um, and kind of got involved right in the nitty gritty of it. Um, on a day-to-day basis, I guess my, my job is really um, keeping everyone focused and motivated and um, what's really important to me is keeping a really good team culture, yeah. um, which I know sounds very cliche, but it's true of our business. We're very invested in that. Um, and as well as that, obviously, I have four four children and a husband who's relatively demanding to look after. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I do, I guess, wear multiple hats, but um, it's a pretty busy life and, and pretty busy days, but it yeah. wouldn't have it any other way. It's yeah, cool. that's awesome. Mm. And so what's the story behind the Duval Group and how did that all begin? Okay, so the Duval Group is a property development company. Um, primarily, though, we are investors. So I guess what we always talk about is the fact that we're investors first. Mm-hmm. Um, it just so happens that we have the skill set of development and that we um, are able to develop our own stock, I guess. Um, the Duval Group started uh, originally in the Waikato, and more recently, I suppose, in the last six years or so, we moved up here, yeah, when about six years ago um, to Auckland to start working up here and since then it has grown into um, the second largest suburban apartment developer in sorry the largest suburban department (laughs) developer in New Zealand and second largest developer in in New Zealand so that's pretty exciting stuff Mm. but we started it at small roots I guess it was just um, my husband and I when we got here to Auckland um, doing our thing I had three little babies or maybe I had two and one on the way. And, um, you know, we were grinding and we were hustling and we were making things happen. Mm. And it was just the two of us um, working really, really hard. <laughs> and today we've got a team of um, about 45 staff that work in in our offices and then obviously on our sites so that extends, um, you know, to our contractors and, and people who work on the, on the sites. Yeah, wow. And when did you say that you started that again? So in Auckland, we started about six years ago. Duval's wow. existed for a few more years than that, but we weren't developing up here. Mm. Yeah, that's still like quite quick and huge growth, isn't it? Mm, it is pretty, yeah, very, yeah. very big growth. I mean, my husband's been in the industry for um, more than 20 years now, and I've been in the industry for more than 15 years. So I guess mm. um, we've had an extensive background in property prior, but that's a whole nother story, <laughs> <laughs> um, which I mean, Monday might want to talk to Kenyon about his, his story because he's got a really interesting story in property as well. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And so you talk about building good culture. How would you sort of describe your management style for 
within the group? Yeah, I think that um, to start with, I think that I'm a very good delegator, which mm-hmm. I think is an unusual skill set to hold. I think a lot of people, especially as you get further and further advanced in your field, you tend to um, hold on to it and have a certain aspect of I'm the best at this. I can't let it go because somebody won't do it as well as I will. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm quite the opposite of that I strongly believe in the fact that the reason that we employ people is to um, fill a gap that we're either not as good at ourselves or where we do not have the capacity to any longer keep up with the work Mm. so I'm very much um, respectful of that when it comes to our people and um, and I guess whilst guiding them and mentoring them a lot through the process of what they're doing it's very much about also being hands-off and just letting people you know choose their path and do the things that they need to do Mm. so um, yeah I would say that my management style is very much one of um, letting people do what they need to do but making sure that they feel supported through that process yeah yeah Mm. and what would you say would be your favorite part about your role and how do your strengths align with that Um, my favorite part about my role is the people I mean um, it's funny when people walk into the Duval office that the comment that we always get back is the buzz and the feeling in the office and I think you know that culture I guess comes from the top down you know always comes from management in terms of um, you know feeding that and I think that's something that we're really proud of is the fact that Kenyon and I ourselves are quite motivated people we like to get up and do things and um, be inspired and be energetic and get into stuff and I think that that our staff really feed off that and we've got the most incredible team so they are all the same they're all a buzz everybody carries their load um and that's something I'm super super proud of I think building a good culture is so important and like leads on to all the things after that with staff motivation and it just keeps them going if it's coming well it keeps everybody aligned and it keeps Mm. everybody on board you know like if you if you can't create excitement and you can't and create create engagement people just lose interest yeah and one of the things about our business is that we have a really low turnover of staff Mm. and I really think that's because we're always changing we're always moving we're always pushing forward we celebrate our wins you know um everybody knows where we're going and everybody's really engaged in that process and it's just fun yeah it's super cool yeah definitely Mm -hmm. that's so cool and when did you personally become interested in property development and why was that do you think well I started working for Kenyon which is when Mm -hmm. I first got involved in the property game very cliche I ended up married to him but there you go (laughs) um I think that the thing with it is that once you become involved in property it's quite um difficult to get out of because it's in your head you know and it's it's a it's an awesome industry it's super interesting it's super fun um it's um it's exciting there's always something going on that that's that's fun so I guess sort of 15 years ago 15 or 16 years ago I started working with Kenyon and um and supporting him and watching what he was doing um and I suppose working with someone like him is also very um inspiring you know so um but then you know getting involved in the process of watching how development comes together getting the land getting the finance doing the deals um building the product like watching that product develop from its architecture and its you know beginnings to the finished product and developing and delivering that to a client it's so cool yeah. it's an awesome industry so I guess it's not something I naturally felt no something I fell into I didn't naturally look for it yeah mm. yeah 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 and what was your first ever job that you did was it anything like 
did you start off in working in fast food and hospitality or did you go straight into something else? Did you have a clear idea of what you wanted your career to look like? I can tell you about my first real job because my first job was working for my parents and they fired me. Oh. Um, having said that, I think What's they... that story? I regretted that. <laughs> Let's just say it revolved around food. Oh, okay. I was eating on the job and they weren't very impressed with it. I was like 10. Um, and, then I, and then I worked actually... Um, which is again probably a bit of a boring story. I worked in Odorine's nurseries and I planted seedlings. Oh, oh my wow. goodness, did I hustle. I was yeah. like 13 <laughs> and I used to stand there. During my school holidays while all my friends were having fun, mm. I would spend eight hours, six days a week planting seedlings and at the end of it I'd be paid like 180 oh bucks and I thought I was the business. Like, yeah. So I, I was um, yeah, definitely engaged in that. But my first real job out of school, well, while I was at school and then it became out of school, was I left school when I was 16. I didn't finish sixth form. Mm. I um, I was not an ac- academic naturally. I just it was not how I was inclined. So I left school and I worked in pharmacies, which I think is very interesting because there's so much that I learnt back then in the pharmacies that definitely I apply even today mm. you know so um it yeah I suppose in retail and funnily enough I now have a lot of respect for that and a lot of the people that I employ come from a retail hosp- hospitality so much but but hospitality maybe but a retail and service background mm. which is a hugely important part of our business now is is service and serving the people that we work with yeah yeah mm. that's so awesome and then did you from there have a clear idea of where you were going with that or did you feel like you were just sort of feeling it out as you were going along no I think that and um, well I don't know not unfortunately but for me I grew up in a very religious family mm-hmm. and our religion was such that they didn't encourage tertiary education they didn't encourage earning lots of money um it was just a earn what you need to earn to be able to live so you can get on with your ministry that's Mm. basically how I grew up it didn't really fit well with me and I'm obviously no longer involved in that in fact (laughs) almost completely the opposite but but that's where that was my background so Mm. it was never a thing to set a goal for you know you wanted to be comfortable most people that were in the religion owned their own home and that sort of thing and they were very much about making sure you've looked after your own and that sort of stuff Mm. but it was never like grand ideas of being rich and making lots of money and my family were probably some of the more well-off people um, Mm. within the religion they my dad owned his own business we owned our own home mum and dad did quite well um, by comparison with a lot of the people there Um, but it was certainly nothing that was ever pressed was to figure out your goals and your aspirations and what you wanted to do with your future and all of that sort of thing so Mm. I never really had that in my head and I guess um that though I wasn't an academic, I was um, I definitely come from a background of family members who are very business orientated, um, and so I think naturally I have a bit of a business mind um, and mindset, and so I think that things that I learned in those pharmacy days, which I still value today, were things that they put a lot of emphasis on things like targets goals, achieving results, Um, that was hugely um, impactful for me, Um, learning that you're breaking your goals and your targets down from annually to monthly to weekly to daily to Mm. friggin' hourly, like we, it was, and it was a push to get there, and it was, um, I suppose, quite a competitive environment, even if you were just competing with the day before from your own, your your own day before, so um, it definitely taught me how to find different ways of making ends meet and making money and hitting those targets. The second valuable thing I learned in that business was how not to manage people. Mm. The company that I worked with at the time had a very poor culture. 
I think that they um, they would promote people based on the time they'd been there rather than on their merits, various things like that. So so we had people who were shop managers who were completely useless with people. Um, just, you know, I like the idea of managing from the bottom up and supporting the people that you're working with as opposed to sitting in the air with your nose in the air telling everyone what to do mm. um, and then not doing anything to help that process. I mean, you can't sit back as a manager and just expect things are going to happen without your input um, and that when it, things don't happen, it's everyone else's fault. You know, I'm a firm believer that if you are a manager and your team's not performing, it's no one's fault but your fault. Yeah. You're the problem. You know, and I think that I learned some valuable lessons back then. I remember keeping a notebook when I worked in those pharmacies that had scribbles with what I wouldn't do one day when I was managing people. So I guess I never had a solid plan, but it was always kind of subconsciously an expectation that I would be in a leadership role of some description. And here's what I wouldn't do. Yeah. I didn't learn about, a lot about what I would do, but yeah. I learned a lot about what I wouldn't do. Yeah, it's mm. like you had your values sort of set out from the start and then that probably guided it a bit more. That's right. Yeah. yeah for and sure. do Because I was going to say on top of that, do you think like, that your family added to that drive in you or do you think that was mostly due to those um jobs like the yeah I think I think both of my parents are natural leaders Mm. you know they were both um inclined that way my dad was very much a business person Mm. um he but both of them were also damn hard workers you know so and I think that work ethic did rub off on us children Mm. I mean we there's I'm one of five and we were all from a young age engaged in the household activities and in the business activities. Mum and dad would get Mm. us involved during the school holidays and that sort of thing. So I guess there's a lot of knowing what it took to 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 achieve and that you can't just sit back and and hope for the best and not grind and not work and not hustle. You had to you had to do the business, you know. Yeah, totally Mm. agree. Um, And so we might switch a little bit now into into attitude towards money. Mm. So. What was your attitude towards money growing up? We've gone into it a little bit, but on mm. top of that, I suppose, was there quite a negative mindset around having money and all of that? Yeah, well, I guess um, the funny thing is, so I talk about the religion on the one hand, but then on the other hand, my father particularly um, liked money. Mm. Um, not so much that he liked it um, to spend it. He liked the satisfaction of earning it and doing well, you know? Maybe he liked, no, he never really spent it. He was a bit tight. But he definitely had a thing about making it. You know, he, he liked to work hard and he liked to make money. And he definitely had um, somewhat of an ego about him doing well, you know. So I think that, um, so in terms of growing up and the attitude around money, though the religion didn't encourage it, my family were somewhat focused on it. Right. And I always knew I didn't want to be poor. I, I knew that for certain. I was never going to be a person that didn't have money and mm. didn't do well and didn't do better than average. You know, I was mm. definitely, I definitely, my dad used to always say to us um, that his father said to him, son, just, just, it's okay to do well. If you're doing average, you're average and you're just the same as everybody else. That's fine. If you're, you know, the middle of the road and dad hated it. He was always like, for God's sake, like, well, not God, cause he doesn't blaspheme, but you know, <laughs> you need yeah. to, you need, you need to be at the top of your game. And yeah. so dad was always pushing us to be better and do, do better than everyone. He didn't like the whole moderate thing, mm. which is unusual actually for that particular religion. Cause it certainly would encourage that, but it was very much about being the best at your game. So 
In terms of money, I grew up in a, with an attitude that you couldn't be poor. You didn't want to just do okay. You needed to do better than average. But I guess the interesting thing about it, which is probably interesting for you and your age group and um, and those types of people, is that I was no different from anybody else in their late teens or early or early 20s. No different from, mm. you know, the average person, I guess, having said that. I, um, I didn't have a plan, really. Didn't... Um, didn't think about though I knew I wasn't going to do badly and I knew I wasn't going to be poor I didn't think about how I was not going to not be poor Mm. you know and I think um that's very common in your late teens and your early 20s is to not really be engaged with that and you kind of you might go out and you work your way up and you make money and you spend money Mm. you make a buck and you spend a buck and I think that that is where our education system is severely lacking and our parents generation was not focused enough either on like if I talk to my kids now they know about money yeah. you know that my eldest is nine and I think this is the problem is that there is no education which is where you're coming from right there's no mm. education in the education system it's not it's not very often that parents until now have started to talk to their children about money it's always been a bit of a taboo subject so my dad used to say to me things like you should always t- save 10% of everything you earn I mean <laughs> if I knew what I know now your late teens and your early 20s, you have no responsibility, right? Mm. You've got no children. You have no partner to be accountable to. You probably don't have a mortgage. This is the average person, right? There's different yeah. people doing different levels of things. But most people in that age group, you've got no responsibility. It is the best, the absolute best time in your life to be grinding. Mm. It's the best time to be going, what can I do and how can I make some money and some more money and to not be worried about what people think about you making money, right? Mm. Because this is the other thing that I think is an issue. You can't be seen to be doing too well because then people might not like you. Yeah. I mean, come on, like, it's the best time where you've got no other commitments and no other um, distractions in your life to be figuring out the best way to make the most money. And if I knew what I know now, I wouldn't be saving 10, Would I like to call it storing, we like to refer to it as storing money, not saving money, but I would be putting aside 50% of that, mm. not freaking 10%. You've got nothing else to spend your money on. Yeah. You know, Don't waste your time out drinking every weekend and spending mm. your money at flipping on... It's cocktails and well, no, come on, you can't afford cocktails. Beer and wine and crappy wine. Yeah. Like, don't don't do drugs. Yeah. You know, it's a waste. It's such a waste. And you will realise when you get into your thirties, and all of a sudden you had a couple of kids, and you know the commitment of a mortgage and a husband and all the rest, or a, or a wife or whatever, all the rest of it. You all of a sudden you'll realise how much you should have thought about this when you were in your twenties. Mm. You know, so and I and I think this is this was me. I, I this was what I was like. I did my OE. Don't criticize that either. You should you should put aside money to go on your OE. But you should also be about thinking about putting aside money for your future. Yeah. Right? So this is something I've got um I've got nannies, au pairs that live in our house, and I've got um young staff at work. A lot of our staff are millennials. We've got a lot of young people that work with us, and we are constantly talking to them about what are you doing with your money. Know where your money's going, know where it's at. Make sure that you understand whether or not you are um, setting yourself up for your future and that mm. you've got something happening beyond just your KiwiSaver and your Homestart grant. Yes, mm. yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think when you're young as well, that's the time where you can afford to 
you know, like you say, just hustle and go all in, take a few risks and just do it because you've got the time to recover from it. That's right. You've got the time to make mistakes. Like Mm. it's so crazy. And then I think of things like um, kids moving out of home. Mm. Why the heck would you do that? Mm. You know, if your parents let you live at home for minimal money or for free, why do you want to leave? Yeah. You know, like, so maybe they get angry with you for coming home after 11 o'clock at night. Well, guess what? Nothing good happens after 11 o'clock at night in town anyway, so probably you should just go home. But, but the point is, you've got, you've got, you could be at home and you could be paying them, you know, $150, $170, $180 a week for board, mm. and the rest of your money is completely at your disposal. Mm. I just think it's crazy. But you get these people like, I want to be independent, I want to get out of home. Mm. Well, maybe you should reconsider that you know and and that was me I moved out of home when I was 17 or 18 like I was gone and I just spent all my money on rent and then I spent my money on going out and I spent my money on goodness knows what other junk and got myself into debt with high purchases and stupid stuff Mm. and you know I just think for goodness sake like this is now is the time to be thinking about what you're doing there and yeah yeah considering it because most people just don't even think about it yeah no I'm exactly on the same page and from that I suppose we need to understand what is money and so people have attitudes and we don't know who to listen to and what's right and what's wrong and people hate the bank and people love the bank and how do we get to like get around that and understand what what is money (laughs) what I would suggest to you is that you find the richest person in the room and you copy them Mm. I mean, if you think about it, you think about people that you know who are wealthy, what are they doing? Mm. You know, how are they spending their time? You know, are they sitting on the weekend watching Netflix Mm. and chilling? (laughs) You know? No. (laughs) No, they're not. They're not. Successful people who are doing well and making money are educating themselves. Mm. They are grinding. They're finding another um, line of income. Mm. You know, they are doing everything they can to be more and more successful and to improve on the day before. They're ignoring the people who are naysayers and saying, Mm. why don't you find some work-life balance? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? All of that stuff that's nonsense. That, that's what they're saying rather you know it's interesting we've got like I say we've got a lot of young guys that work for us over COVID they were working from home and our guys are working their butts off because they just carry on as they are because they understand the value of a dollar mm. and more so the value of their time mm. so they're working their bums off and then they get their flatmates saying what are you doing why are you still making phone calls they go home at 10 o'clock at night and they're making a ph- why are you still making a phone call at 10 o'clock at night When's a better time to make a phone call? Everyone's home. You know, so I think the point is is that that if you want to be successful, if you wanted to be a successful athlete, you wouldn't go and find the the slob sitting in the corner Mm. doing nothing with their life, right? You would find the leanest, meanest, fittest-looking person and you would say, hey, how do you do that? Yeah. So where do you go to for advice? You, you, You find somebody who's doing well. You want to use a financial advisor, make sure that they've got money first. You know, it's just simple as that. I mean, if you yeah. go to a financial advisor who might know what to say but not what to do and they, they, they don't walk the walk, it's probably the wrong person to talk to. Mm. And how do you think that money attitudes have changed over time? What I think is interesting is that um, is that I, I don't know if it's just us or whether it is normal now that people are starting to talk more about money. And what I think that is because of is because we now have um, social media and I think that 
even if you're not inclined to talk about that sort of stuff in your circles, I think these days you see things online. Um, there's lots of education people educating out there there's mm. podcasts like yours there's lots of places to go to be talking about money yeah. and I think that but I still think that it remains that the the majority of people there's easier access to this stuff now than there ever was but the majority of people still don't talk about it mm. Mm. yeah and they see a taboo with it as well which is a whole it's another. a taboo subject and yeah. I think it's taboo because if you're doing better than someone else it's the whole tall poppy syndrome right mm. and so you, you can't possibly I mean we we talk to people all the time who feel almost shameful for talking about what they make yeah the money that they make what their income is um and of course we talk to people about that all the time because we're talking to them about investing in property and what their income is is important and mm. things like that but but they almost are embarrassed to say that they make too much money yeah. You know, and I think for us in our household and our office everywhere, we're always talking about money. So for us, it's no longer an unusual thing. For our staff, it's not. For the mm. people that we surround ourselves with, it's not unusual for us to be talking about money. Mm. And I think it's important for it. it money is just a, it's just fuel. Money mm. is fuel that, that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. It's yeah. just a, it's just a tool to achieve a result, right? Yeah. And it's also what happens as a result of being successful and getting off your bum and doing things. Mm, exactly mm. right. And you and your husband are extremely successful. And do you, what do you see as the difference between you and then someone who is sitting there saying, oh, all these rich people, I'm poor, I've worked my ass off my whole life. What's the difference between you and them? Um, Usually, I think they haven't worked their ass off their whole life. Mm. That's the reality of it. I mean, if you, I always say our house is twenty four seven, and it truly is. Mm. Um, we we are always there's always something going on in this household. Like there's always people here. We're always talking about about what we're doing next, about where we're going, and and mm. you know, there's so many people who want to make a lot of money, but they're not prepared to do things like work outside of work hours. You know, um, they don't want to work after five. They don't want to work on the weekend, but they expect to do better. You know, I just am like, you've got a limited amount of time in your week and how you choose to spend that time is really, really important because you've got your nine to five where you earn your salary. And if it's capped at that because you're not prepared to do more than that, then you're never going to be more and more successful. So what I would say of us is that we work really hard. You know, we have our times where we might have a break every now and then. And Kenyon and I will get away and go and have some time together and on our own for a, you know a couple of days or whatever. And but the reality of it is, even when we go away with, as a family, um, you know we'll spend time with the kids and then we might spend a few hours doing some work or strat doing some strategy, some planning, and talking about what we're going to do next with the business and the rest mm -hmm. of it. Like we love it; it's a focus. And I think the more successful you become, the more engaged with that process you are, and the more interested you are, and just hammering it out any given time of the day yeah do you think passion for what you do comes into that or do you think it's more just about working hard and just sort of putting aside any laziness and just getting into it I think it, the passion maybe needs to change in terms of where it's directed mm. because a lot of people think they need to be passionate about the job that they do yeah. but I'll tell you what I hate accounting <laughs> We're, hmm. we're opposites. <laughs> I don't like talking. I don't like dealing with spreadsheets and and um, day to day accounting stuff, right? Yeah. But for years and years and years, I did the accounting, mm. and it wasn't because I wanted to do the accounting. It's because what what I found what I was passionate about was success and making money. Mm. So my passion wasn't about the day to day activity, 
I just scheduled that in. Yeah. You know, it was just part of what I did to, to achieve the result in the th- of the thing that I was passionate about, which was which was getting ahead. Mm, yeah, mm. I think that's so important to know too, because I think sometimes people can get quite emotionally involved in having this purpose and, and passion, and it gets to a point where they don't even want to do anything because it's too overwhelming that they don't have enough passion to sort of follow exactly. through. So, so what it is is when when you are doing things that aren't necessarily fun, which everyone needs to do in the beginning, right? Unless mm. you've got a big nest egg or you inherit some money, you have to do the shit work. Mm. It's just life, you know. You've got to start somewhere, so you just have to grind away. But the good thing is, the more successful that you become, that's when you can start to delegate that, and you can start to employ people that fill that, and you find people who actually like doing that stuff yeah. and you can't believe it but you find them and then they do it for you you know so it's just it's only temporary and then you get to a stage where you do things that you're passionate about so for me now with the role that I fill I'm passionate about managing people looking after people making things work leading a team to success like um, finding better ways of doing things and mm. and you know making making that happen yeah. And I'm doing things now that I'm actually passionate about as well as being passionate about the result. Yeah. But to start with, you have to change your mindset about what is your passion. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And coming back around to seeking money advice and who we should listen to, how damaging is it to receive the wrong advice and go to the poorest person for advice on how to make money? Well, the problem is if you go to somebody who's got no money, who's got no advice, because let's face it, what advice have they got for you mm. other than don't do anything, is that you stay stagnant. And there's nothing worse. You're better off to be pushing forward to fall backwards than to not be doing anything and staying stagnant, right? Yeah, totally. So I think, and as well as that, I guess it can be damaging, especially through missed opportunity. Mm. So one thing we see all the time with um, property is where people um, come in, they've got the means, we've, we've had a good chat with them, they can make a property work, they could be investing, but then they go home and they talk to their parents or they talk to their auntie's boss or something and um and they come back and going oh you know it's a bit risky or it's a bit and we're like well you were keen the other day what's your problem now oh, I've mm. spoken to so and so and they think that blah 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 you get more into it and you find out that that person's got nothing mm. you know and you're like what why would you listen to that why would you not go and find the person who's got the success mm. and and work with them and one thing that we're quite proud of with our property advisors at Duval is that either they are already investing in our product or they're on their way there like they've all got a clear plan to get to being investing in our product so um, they're already successful with that you know they know how it's done and they know how to make it work but I think you know in terms of talking to the wrong people missed opportunity is one of the most expensive lessons you'll ever learn Mm. because um, you know there are people that might have decided not to invest in a property um, and then a year later the property's worth another 50 or 60 grand well mm. look at that you've just lost that massive opportunity that's some people's salary for the year mm. you've just lost because you listened to somebody who knew nothing about what they were talking about right yeah um, and then um, and then the other thing is obviously if you make a bad investment decision so you know some people will go well you know why would you buy that townhouse that two-bedroom townhouse that's brand new on that tiny piece of land where you could buy that house over there in some remote part of Auckland um, that's three bedrooms on a bigger piece of land but it's an old home and then you have to go and put a heat pump in it and then you have to insulate it and then you have to fix something else and you replace the roof and all of a sudden you find you're throwing good money out to bad where the property is no longer it's not making any capital gains it's um it's old and run down and mm. it's not making you anything it's just sitting there doing not very much mm. so you know and in that case it can be a costly exercise because you end up spending money on it and you're not getting that return back at least quickly you know yeah yeah mm. and I assume 
you make the most of your days because time is money. And how do you view your days in terms of making the most of the time you do have? I mean, I think it's important to know what you're doing for the day. So <clears throat> scheduling things. We um, talk a lot at work about your perfect week and your perfect day. Mm. And so what that looks like is basically scheduling um, everything out in basically hourly time slots and following that plan. Um, so you've got a very clear line of what you're doing for the day. My days these days can be quite changeable depending on what got, what's got, like what needs more attention within our business and um, what the kids are doing, various things like that. So, But what I usually will do is I have a calendar that schedules my life um, and then I'll move things around and chop and change depending on what it needs to be done. But, I mean, definitely for me, it's about making a plan mm. and working it. Yeah, and do you have personal goals now that you try to follow and do you work those into your days and your weeks? Yeah, I mean, I've got, I suppose, lots of goals, both um, from a business perspective and from a personal perspective. Mm. Um, and so I'm always re-looking at those and working out um, how I can achieve it, what we can do to achieve it and I think the great thing for Kenyon and I is that they're often especially for work they're shared goals so um, we're able to sit down together and, and plan through those and see how we can make them work yeah mm. and then going into more around where we should be putting our money should we be getting our money out of the bank how do we then invest it from there <laughs> um, so Here's my view about money in the bank and not just my view, Kenyon's view, this is kind of our strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you put money in the bank and you've got a large sum sitting there. What you might as well do with it is take it out of the bank and put it on your table and stare at it and see what happens. Mm. You know, so the problem with money in the bank is it's not doing anything because what happens to that money sitting on the table? Nothing. Mm. It just sits there and it sits there and it sits there and nothing happens. And so I think the, the danger with, with putting your money in the bank and keeping it there, there's a difference between saving and storing, right? Saving generally is with no purpose. So a lot of people will put money aside, but they've got no real understanding of why they're putting money aside other than that's what you should do. We talk about storing money. So your bank account is sitting there to store money for a purpose, for something. So you're putting it there until it gets to a certain level where you can then use it, right? So so there's no doubt that um, you can't um, buy a property, for instance, unless you've got a certain amount of money sitting in the bank first. Mm. So you must do that, but it should never, ever be with the intention of leaving it there mm. because the bank money sitting in the bank does nothing and your money should be working for you always. Yeah, I suppose what's the importance of having a plan in that sense around how we're going to use I the think, money? I think the thing is it's hard for me to talk to anything other than property, mm -hmm. right? Because the fact of the matter is that for us, we have money. We can do whatever we want with it. It's completely within our discretion. And what we choose to do with it is to, is to invest it in property. Yeah. So um, we, we don't invest our money in shares. We don't invest our money in businesses. We invest our money in property. Yeah. So I guess from that perspective... Um, we have set up a whole business around that, including property advisors and people who are there to help people um, figure out what they should do with their money. Mm. So most of our clients that come to us are people who have got some element of money stored aside or they want to invest in property and they want to know how to get there. Mm. And they would typically come in and talk to one of our advisors and our advisors would work through their specific situation. The thing about it is that everybody's different. Mm. It's not something you can talk about in just a circular situation, right? Because it depends on your situation as to what you would do with your money. Mm. But what I would say about money is that as soon as you've got some money that can do something for you that makes more money, you do your day job 
Mm-hmm. And then you make your passive income by investing your money on the side. And and for us, the reason we invest money in property is because we see it the most successful way to make money out of money. Mm. Mm. And taking it back to the very basics of someone um, and like a young person in their 20s is wanting to start investing in property and they've maybe got a small sum of money. How do they, I guess, continue on that journey to saving up to doing that? And what should they be thinking about when having that goal in mind? I think the thing is talk to someone. Go and go and find someone who knows, who's done it before, who knows what they're doing. I mean, I'd always suggest, obviously, you talk to one of our team because they they know what to do. Um, so we'll have people come in who have got no money, and but they want to invest in property, and people that come in and they've got sixty or seventy grand sitting in their bank account and don't realise they can invest in property. Mm. They might have thirty grand sitting in their bank account and some KiwiSaver, and they don't realise they can already invest in property. Right? There's this big thing about property being so difficult to get into and all the rest, but the reality of it is, it's actually not. Mm. It's just that most people don't know how to get there. And I think that depending on your situation really dictates the story, right? So it is a matter of going, finding somebody who knows um, and can educate you in that path. I mean, it's another thing is educating yourself, you know. I think following the right people that know what they're talking about on your socials is really important. Mm. Um and then finding the right people to talk to. So, I mean, this is a good example of a time as I'm saying, this is what I do. Yeah. This is what we provide. There's a service. If you are if you want interested in talking about property and you want to make money in property and you want to know what you can do or how you should start, go and talk to one of our property advisors. Mm. They're awesome. They'll, they'll always give you an idea or a plan and tell you what you can and can't do and where to start for sure. Yeah. And mm. why do you think that investing in property is an effective use of someone's money if they're thinking about what they want to do with their own money well it's not it's low risk Mm. um you make good gains over a long term and it's a very steady asset class right so if you look at a graph with property um in terms of making money out of property it's just a steady incline and even if you have some peaks and, and troughs the, the, the line is generally on its way up. Mm. So the fact of the matter is that um, there's lots of other asset classes you can invest in where the, you can go from one minute being right up the top and the next minute you're completely bottomed out. Totally. And, and that's basically every other asset class. Mm. There, yeah, there's always that true. risk, you know. So the fact of with property is that unless you make a really poor investment decision because you haven't educated yourself, you've taken the wrong advice from people who don't know what they're talking about and you haven't... Um, and you haven't talked to a professional who does know what they're talking about. Mm. It's very difficult to, to invest in the wrong property. But but so but over a over a long period of time, so we're talking a five to ten year period, property is always an asset class that goes up in value. It always increases. Mm. And the other thing about it is that it's very little work. Um, the fact of the matter is I think there are people that do things like, for instance, a business on the side of your um, of your work. I mean, it's it's a good idea, right? Especially when you're young and you've got the time and the energy and no um, no children, no husband and no ties or no wife and no ties, that sort of thing. You've got time to be doing a side hustle and to be making money on the side in terms of some sort of business venture. But the fact of the matter is um, your time is, spent, is best spent going and earning a buck with the time that you have. So being paid for your time one way or another, whether that's a, a job or two or whether that's finding some sort of side hustle ultimately wealth creation you can't save your way to wealth so you can't earn money tuck it aside and eventually be wealthy Mm. property is very good for being able to invest your money and then it grows without you having to do a huge amount as long as you've invested in the right property yeah Mm. 
Okay, awesome. And what are some of your own lessons that you've learned through property investment that's been important to your journey? Hmm. Well, fortunately, I've been, my husband obviously is um, big in the property game and has um, been been very successful in his time in property. So um, fortunately for me, I haven't had any particular things which have been a fail, I guess. Mm. Um, But certainly we've been the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff a number of times. And I think Um, like I've said a number of times it's really really important to educate yourself and to talk to the right people and make sure you know and not just listening to anyone not just listening to find the smartest person in the room find the most successful person in the room Mm. and talk to them don't just talk to any man and their dog you've Mm. got to figure out who the right person is to be mentored by and get your advice from yeah completely Mm. agree and young people have been told and they will think that it's impossible to get on the property ladder now especially some of us sitting in Auckland what are your thoughts on that and is that something that is true no it's categorically not true and I mean I was just saying before you know there's people who come into our office and they've got 30 grand saved up in their Mm. bank and I think they think that that's an insignificant sum it's just not Mm. And everyone's got to start somewhere. I mean, maybe with 30 grand, you can't get into your first property, but you've got to start somewhere. So it's a matter of talking and finding out. You need to, the knowledge, you need to find out how much you do need so that at least you know why you're storing that money and what you're storing it for, right? So you might come and talk to one of our property advisors, for instance, and they say, look, at the moment, we can't help you, but if you if you store up another 10 grand in that account, um, plus your KiwiSaver or whatever else it might be, we can definitely get you into your first property. So whether that be 30 grand or five grand saved already um, is kind of irrelevant. You need to know your study. You need to know your money, right? You need to know where your money's at. So you need to know your starting point. Mm, yeah, mm. very important. And how can a young person, I suppose, set themselves up for success in the property game? I keep coming back to the same thing. Be educated. Yeah. You know, we've never ever had such good access to knowledge. And I think we're just so, your generation is so lucky. I mean, when I was your age, there was no, okay, there was internet, but nothing great to speak of. And it was so slow. You'd have spent hours. Everything is at the touch of your fingertips now. Mm. But also seek opportunity, you know, like I think... I hear quite often with people that we talk to because we mentor a lot of people and they'll say to us things like, oh, I don't, I don't want to feel as I'm taking advantage of you. You know, I mean, it's very polite, but it's also stupid because <laughs> if you see an opportunity, don't think you're taking advantage, just seize the moment, right. you know, take yeah. the opportunity and, and roll with it yeah. because um, you should just grab onto all those opportunities to, to learn, to be educated, go to, go to courses, yeah. go to, you know, seminars and things like that. I mean, I don't necessarily think you need to pay for that, but you should seek that stuff, you know. Look it up, search for it. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. Mm, I totally agree. It's funny you say that because I feel like that's something I would say. Like, I don't want to take advantage of people to the extreme, but I think it's good to be reminded that you should just grab those opportunities when they're there. It's not taking advantage. It's an opportunity, Mm. and you should take the opportunity always. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And with property... Is it a short or a long-term game? It's 100% a long-term game. Mm. So, you know, we see property people in our industry all the time who flip property. So they'll buy something, maybe they'll put some time into it to make a little bit out of it or they'll sit on it for six months and then they'll flip it and they'll make a, you know, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 grand. But the fact of the matter is if they sat on that same property for 
five or ten years they'll make far more out of it and of course the thing we always need to be thinking about is that in New Zealand um, your retirement looks pretty damn bad if you haven't generated your own wealth right government retirements are not cool and so you always need to be considering how is this going to look when I'm ready to retire and the fact of the matter is if you buy property and sell property and you're short you know everything's short term when you get to retirement you've got nothing left and the fact of the matter is most people who flip property like that, guess what they do with it? They get their money and they spend it, right? So they're not yeah. they're not necessarily reinvesting it. They'll buy a car or go overseas. So I think property to create true wealth is a long-term situation. Yeah. I mean, I don't criticize people for flipping, especially if it's like their first property or whatever, where they, I mean, you're far better off to take the equity that's in the property. So um, the that's, that's basically the value of the property, less what's borrowed against it, mm-hmm. is the equity in your property, and use that equity to buy the next property, which is something, again, our advisors talk a lot about. You're far better to do that. But there are some people who it's quite a good idea to maybe sell the first one to get the money out of it, to be able to go into the next one and the next one and the next one but we definitely what we focus on is creating strategies and plans for the long term to invest over a long period of time and end up with a really good portfolio that's got a really good passive income for while you're not retired and then while you're retired yeah Hmm. yeah and circling back to a couple of things we were talking about before um because you strike me as someone who's incredibly disciplined how can someone implement that into their life is being disciplined an innate trait in someone or can you learn to be disciplined I think that being disciplined not many people are naturally disciplined and I'm not Mm. I definitely would not say that like in fact um I'll go through patches where I wouldn't say I'm flying by the seat of my pants because I don't have the luxury of doing that but I'm definitely reactive and I am conscious of that where I'm like, okay, I need to stop being reactive and I need to go and put in place um, a new plan to make sure that I'm ahead of the game. So I think it's always a matter of like, one thing I was doing actually just before you came here was basically deleting everything from my diary, my calendar, because I said, like I was talking about the perfect week and the perfect day. Um, So my calendar is set out with the perfect week and the perfect day. And um, I was just literally deleting everything from my calendar and starting again. I was like, especially after all this COVID stuff, you know, like it's thrown everything kind of a little bit out of routine. Equally, it's taught me a different way of working in a lot of ways. Mm. So uh, I've, for instance, found that actually sometimes it's better for me to just work from home, which I've never really done. Mm. Um, because I save time in terms of driving around and Zoom calls easier and things like that. So it's a matter of going back now and reassessing it because it is a changeable thing. Reassessing mm. how I'm doing things, reassessing what my schedule looks like and putting it putting it into, into place. Yeah. Mm. And Again. going into inspiration, a lot of people want to feel inspired in their everyday mm. life. And where do you get your inspiration from? I knew this would be a question for me. (laughs) Um, I think, again, I'm very fortunate to live with a very inspiring person. Mm. So Kenyon um, is a brilliant mind. He, um, He constantly comes out with stuff that I'm just like completely off the wall where did that come from and it's um you can't help when you are with a person like that to be inspired by them constantly he's he's got an exceptional mind but I'll tell you um going back to team culture the other place I definitely draw and I mean I follow some people on socials and things like that and that changes actually from time to time I'll Mm. follow one track for a while that suits me for that time and then I might start following something else but um one thing that really inspires me day to day is watching our team mm. and I think just so many heads are better than one right so mm. that always coming out with stuff that is just completely out of the box you know 
um, us taking their lead sometimes and listening to what they say. And we work with such an amazing bunch of people that they're constantly inspiring in terms of, um, you know, giving us new ideas and, and out there things that they want to do. Um, and I find that really inspiring um, yeah. and motivating. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm really keen to hear your thoughts on work-life balance <laughs> and how you might manage stress and what that looks like for you. I think that um, work-life balance is almost a swear word in our house. Yeah. Um, because our work is our life and our life is our work and we're, everything's kind of intertwined. Um, we, I don't believe in it. I just mm. don't. I think that there are some times when... If you, if you say life is your family, for instance, where it takes precedence over your, your work and vice versa. Um, and so sometimes you need to give one thing more time than another. Um, I mean, I've never particularly had what people would generally consider balance and neither has Kenyan. We, don't, we just don't do that, you know. We, mm. we will um, do whatever we need to do to make things work, whether that's work-related or personally. Yeah. Um, and I think that... Um, in terms of that, you know, the children, for instance. So being a mum, sometimes I get asked about that. I wrote an article, not an article, post a little while ago about villages raising children. And mm. the fact of the matter is I have to rely on my family. I have to rely on people that I employ to help raise my children, mm. you know, and I don't begrudge that. I think it's a good thing. My, my children are well exposed to all sorts of things. Um, but I think that um, the fact of the matter is, is that... I don't regret anything either, you know? I mean, when I had children, I went straight to work. I never I never took maternity leave. I didn't take weeks off work or anything like that. Um, I don't regret that so far. I can't mm. see that I'll regret it in the future. And I think the thing for me is that it's a very cliche th thing to say that the time with the children is um, about quality, not quantity, which is true. And the fact of the matter is my mum spent a lot more time in my presence growing up mm. than I spend potentially with my kids. But a lot of that time was yelling Mm. and that sort of thing it wasn't it's get in the bath you know yeah, go yeah, and yeah. um eat your dinner or whatever I mean I don't deal with any of that stuff with my kids um on a day-to-day -day basis sometimes I have to but you know and I think when it comes to personal things I want to fit in I just make it work I fit them in around my work if I want to go and work out or I want to um take some time out for Kenyan and I to go away for a long weekend we just do yeah. but for the most part when we're here we work when we go away, we relax, you know, and I don't mm. think I don't think work-life balance for us is a thing, really. Yeah. Um, in terms of stress, that's also an interesting question because I think stress is different for pe different people, right? So there are mm. people that I, I mentor who will come to me with some stressful situation and I just think, this is just not something to be stressed about. And then I have to remember back when I was at that point and um, how it felt and it was stressful, you know. These days I'm more inclined to think, well that happened and there's things I can control and there's things I can't control so I look after the things I can control and I'm solid in that you know I'll make sure I fix it but um the things I can't control I can't do anything about and at the end of the day I'm like well did you die hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know if not good to go carry on yeah you know so I don't think that really a stress is a huge factor for me but that might be something to do with me as well because I know sometimes Kenyan can get quite stressed you know he if he's got something big on his plate. Um, but again, I guess he manages stress by going, okay, well, time to have a workout, you know, mm. time to go and meet with friends and do something that's a little bit different from just focusing on the stress or fix it. Yeah. I mean, that's the other way to deal with stress is fix the problem. Exactly. And mm. there's probably a self-awareness piece to that as well and just knowing 
when you are starting to feel overwhelmed and like you say do something about it rather than just letting it all yeah I think procrastination is a major issue right and people generally tend to procrastinate and I think that's about knowing that of yourself Mm. because I can be a procrastinator but I'm not because as soon as I start thinking oh maybe I'll go and water that plant instead of getting on with what I'm supposed to be I I snap straight away and go okay no right now I'm procrastinating just sit down and start you know and get it done so um yeah I definitely think that's a thing yeah and building those habits around that as well because procrastination is yeah like you said it's a killer yeah and people need to get in the habit of snapping out of it sometimes all it is though is an awareness that that's what you're doing yeah because I think it's easy to be to be busy and productive but still procrastinating Mm. you know because you're procrastinating over something that you're never going to get done because you're too busy keeping yourself busy in inverted commas yeah um and productive doing other things to avoid something mm. I mean you should always start with the task you want to avoid the most and mm. get it over and done with mm. it's like if you're a kid and you don't like eating veggies just eat them first mm. you know get it done yeah <laughs> yes yeah, so true and how do you think young people should approach taking risks in their life and career if you I guess going back to when you were young you might think it was really scary to do something which you look back on now and think oh it wasn't even a big deal I think that for young people that, like I've talked about earlier, with no other commitments, now is your time, mm. you know? There's very little you can do wrong that you can't correct within a, within a short period of time. Mm. So I think that risk is an interesting thing too because I'm probably a person between my husband and I, we're prepared to take greater risks than a lot of people. Mm. Um, and again, highly successful people typically do take risks that are bigger than other people are prepared to take. Mm. And I just think that don't be scared. You just don't need to be scared. You're young. You've got time. Nothing can, nothing really can go that badly wrong that you can't correct it in a very short period of time. Mm, definitely. And how would you suggest others to... I guess work out what they're going to do in their career do you think that's something that people should try and work out or more they should be getting experience and then just sort of going with where it takes them I think that people are naturally um inclined one way or another so you know for instance um my sisters are both inclined to be quite focused and know what they want to do and where they want to go and they are quite focused on achieving that result so they get kind of onto it and stuck into it I'm not necessarily that guided I guess about the way that I do things I'm much more of a an opportunity seeker and I think that's the thing is that I for my whole working life I guess have looked for an opportunity and gone where can this take me next so Mm. before Kenyon and I got together you know I spent um uh, I guess 12, 13, 14 years just in um, in secular roles and, and career and careers and jobs and I always looked for something that was a little bit more beyond what I was able to do mm. you know and then caught up and that was kind of all my always my strategy I guess and sort of putting my feelers out and seeing what I liked and what I enjoyed and what I didn't enjoy before I worked with Kenyon I worked for another developer who did things very badly mm. um, he wasn't a good developer and then seeing the difference between that and what Kenyon was doing I guess um sort of guided me into into that that position but I was yeah on the one hand you get people who are academics or who are people who are very certain about where they want to head um and and you know seek a certain professional trade and then you get people who um who I'm just considering everybody's motivated right because some people aren't motivated but they should be so they should just get over that but Otherwise, they're opportunity seekers and they just Mm. find the next opportunity and the next opportunity. But it should always be with a view to self-improvement moving forward. Sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean money, right? Mm. 
So sometimes you might be you might be taking an opportunity that's going to take you further personally, but you don't make as much money as the role before. I think challenging yourself is a huge part of that. And do you would you say you practice that self development piece now? And how do you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm always looking for another book to read. Um, one of the things I like to do is look for stuff that really motivates me to push harder, mm. do more, fit more into my day. Um, to, to build things bigger and you know I remember at one point being scared of having more staff and not really being a bit lazy to want to manage more people and things like that and there was a turning point for me where I snapped out of that and I went you know what I just can't be scared of this anymore and I can't be lazy with it anymore mm. if we want to grow and we want to develop and we want to do more I need to get over this hump mm. and so I read a book one day and I went bang that's that's what I needed to get past that yeah mm. yeah and coming back to property what are some practical steps I suppose that people can take to be involved in that property investment community um I would I would say join Facebook groups but there are some Facebook groups that aren't great um I just think align yourself with someone you know like I mean for me again I'm always obviously going to be a bit well I don't think it's bias I just think it's the best thing to do which is aligning yourself with Duval we are the best at what we do in the country I mean you can't you can't really go too far wrong right um and follow along. I mean, we're always putting stuff up on our socials as to, you know, events and things that are going on, things that you can do to, to push yourself further and to do more or um, strategies or tips and tricks for how to get into the industry and um, putting out their um, invitations for people to come and do things and see things and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's an education process. It's about going out there, gaining the knowledge, getting the education. Yeah, mm. exactly right. And I suppose we're coming to a bit of a close now, but did you have anything else that you think is really important for people to keep on their journey as they like move through life? Um, look, I just think work hard. I think, you know, there's the whole thing, and I think maybe we might have moved on a bit. I hope we have, but that might just be in my life again, with things like... Um, been efficient ways to work how to work smarter all of this sort of thing but you know what actually you just need to work Mm. and if you've got more efficient and smarter ways that you can work do that and then do more of that and I think that there's a lot of criticism about millennials and um, I think it's just such rubbish. Mm. I just think that that your age group, that sort of um, late teens and 20s these days are actually more inclined and motivated than most people for a long time in this generation to actually do something with their life mm. and to go beyond just living. Yeah. And um, I think that what having said that, that there's a lot more of um, how can I or I can't, mm-hmm. especially in property. Um, but I think that that's just the media and it's about breaking a mould and breaking that trend and going, actually, maybe I can. Let me investigate this and get some knowledge base for it. Mm. Mm. And just thinking about this now, is there anything that you would tell your younger self if you could? <laughs> I would definitely tell my younger self in my 20s, um, stop spending your money on stupid stuff. Um <laughs> stop um yeah and 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 keep it do something with it I just Mm. can't believe when I look back at my younger self that I just spent money and I didn't give it any consideration whatsoever I just can't Mm. believe I did that and it was like you've talked about a complete lack of education I just had no idea that I should start thinking about this stuff now Mm. for my future I just didn't know that you know and I think if I 
now what I would tell my children at the same age is what where is your money at what are you doing with your money do you know where it's going do you know what it's doing do you know what it could do for you Mm. you know have you investigated that have you looked into it have you talked to people about that Uh, that's what I would say I would encourage them to go and find out what they can do with their money yeah. If they didn't already know, because my kids should know. But, yeah. but that's what I would say to somebody. I would say you need to figure out where your money's at and, and what to do with it. Mm, you should know about agree. it. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Charlotte. That You're was welcome. amazing. I've really appreciated this and learned so much. And I know everyone else is going to get heaps of value out of it too. So thank you. No worries. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. I really hope you were able to take something valuable away. Um, Be sure to subscribe and keep up with the socials for further episodes at The One Up Project, and I'll catch you on the next one.